Hi and welcome to Square in the Circle, a podcast about how business owners in the creative industry balance the art and the business. For episode eight of Square in the Circle, I'm delighted to say that my guest is freelance poet Henry Maddicott. I've seen Henry perform a couple of times and I'm always totally blown away. His poems are intricate and very clever, however, I always find that they are accessible even to someone like me who's not very well versed in poetry. Myself and Henry have a chat about the journey from hating literature to being a full-time poet, his new love for spreadsheets, finding your voice in your profession, and his process of writing. Also, Henry was kind enough to send me a new poem called Houseplants. So around about halfway through the conversation, I've popped it in so you can have a listen. I'm your host, Benjamin Bowles from Benjamin Film and Photography, and welcome to Squaring the Circle. Henry, thank you so much for joining me on Squaring the Circle um, this Friday afternoon. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely to, lovely to be chatting with you again. So I'm going to lead off with a quote, if I may. Um, do you know who said this? At school, I didn't get poetry and saw writing as a chore. I could never imagine doing it for leisure. Um, no, I feel like I've written something like that in the past. It was you, you're correct. It was me. <laughs> um, yes, that's something that you said. Um, I took it from your website and now you're a full-time poet. So um, how, did that, how does someone who saw writing as a chore become a, a full-time poet? That's a, yeah, great question. Um, he says, thinking of an answer. Um, <laughs> the thing is, it was it was a lot of things um, for like for a long time, and it wasn't just through school. It was through like it went to like like college after. Um, I did do English, but I just I hated it. And the idea of like writing essays or the idea of I tried writing diaries as a kid, and was just you know would write half a page and sort of long it off and be like, no, why am I writing? This is just it's just tiring. Like I find it I find it difficult. It's so associated with like the classroom that yeah, it did just just feel like a chore and nothing I could ever imagine wanting to spend time doing for fun. And then I'm not sure it happened really slowly. I think um, like as teenagers and growing up, like friends would you know would have like have drinks and just people would try and well, there was always a lot of music growing up and then people would try and like freestyle or songwrite. And I always quite liked trying to write bits of songs and stuff. So I could never really sing, so I didn't really do anything with them. And then it was sort of getting these ideas in my head of like things that I wanted to say or funny little rhymes that I liked the sound of. And like, you know, in friends' bedrooms, we'd just like say them to each other when we're, you know, having a few drinks or a smoke or whatever. And then slowly writing them down was the only way of keeping track of them all. And then the more I did that, the more the writing chore aspect of it sort of fell away and because I was so eager to get these like words down and then also having like a laptop uh, having like a computer and you know spending more time on that on like growing up on you know spending time on like MSN and like social media like platforms from a young age then you sort of get used to typing and writing and you, you see it as a more of a way of communicating really so so yeah, writing became a form of communication and then a form of self-expression. And it just, so yeah, probably got MSN to thank for getting me into writing, really. I didn't see that one coming. 
No, nor did I. Oh, that was not what I was planning on saying. And then the thought just suddenly came to me and I was like, oh, wow, that's when that's when writing became less of an issue because I was doing it all the time and you had to do it to like contact friends and stuff. So when you sort of took away the mental barrier of, well, I need to do this, that's when it started. And, and you, you were doing it because essentially you wanted to, you were looking at rhymes and how words would, would play with one another. That's when it really kind of kicked in. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when the, the chore aspect, when I was writing for other things than was school, sorry, that was a really terrible sentence. Uh, <laughs> when I began writing for things that, for my own enjoyment, that weren't just associated with writing essays at school or something like that, then sort of the chore aspect of it fell away and I just sort of fell in love with the process of it and what I could get out of it, whether that was communicating with friends or finding forms of self-expression. So now we, we sort of fast forward and, and you're in the, you're a full-time poet, um, but you also do workshops sort of under the umbrella of, I suppose, a written word. I don't know if you would agree with that. So how, I suppose the question is, what does it take to be a full-time poet? I think this is the same for a lot of these of creative industries is it's not necessarily being the most talented, but it's sticking with it. I've seen so many brilliant poets, comedians, singers, songwriters who are like incredible, like absolutely like natural, gifted, talented, wonderful people. And they knew what they were doing, but then just stopped doing it because they it wasn't for them. They weren't that passionate about it. They had other interests or they wanted to normally like get a job that was actually going to pay them a bit. <laughs> mm. um, so to be a full time poet, it's just just sticking with it and also being able to adapt and be versatile. I know some people can get away with just being brilliant writers and they'll get published and that's fantastic. Um, I'm a bit more scrappy than that. Um, I sort of have to piece piece it together. It's a sort of like portmanteau career of write, sometimes writer, sometimes actor, sometimes workshop leader, oftentimes bartender. <laughs> Though I've managed to manage to stop that as much now, but then like running events and things and just being able to have about three or four jobs, um, which is really boring when anyone asks you what you do because you go, well, I'm a little bit of this and I also do this. And you can just see them switching off instantly because they don't care. They just want a simple answer. Uh, but there isn't a simple answer. <laughs> That's fascinating. Actually, there was um, there was a guy called um, who I who I do some networking with a guy called Lenny, who's a marketer. And mm -hmm. he he said He's a marketing generalist because he does a bit of everything. Now, I thought that is, and I might get him on the podcast, actually. So, Lenny, if you're listening, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll be on soon. But that I think just a simple sort of sentence like that, I'm a generalist, is such a great way to sum, sum it all up. Because so many, like you said, so many people in the creative industry, and even if you are just a photographer or just a videographer, you do lots of little subsets within that anyway. So to say you're slightly more generalist um, and leaning on that and sort of making that your USP, I think that's uh, um, I think that's quite a nice way of, of sort of putting it. I don't know if, if you would agree. We like that term. Yeah, no, I like that term. There you go. That's that's one for free from me. For me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you mentioned in your answer, um, and it's something that everybody talks about, whether it's in the creative industries or not. But you said passion and, and motivation. Now, motivation is something that consistently fascinates me because it ebbs and flows and you can be 
I don't know if you're the same, mm-hmm. but I can be super motivated for a period of time. And then I could be doing exactly the same. And for whatever reason, you wake up that one day and you think, God, oh, where's that gone? You know, I, I, it feels like I'm walking through treacle today. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's pretty common, but is, is passion slash motivation something that you struggle with or is it pretty plain sailing? Oh, absolutely. It's probably one of the, the biggest struggles, especially when you're, if you're freelance and you're working for yourself predominantly, sometimes I'll sit there in front of a, front of my computer or whatever I'm doing and go, there's no one to tell me what to do. I'm like, I feel like really unsupervised. I'm like, <laughs> I, need, I need someone just to be like, right, do this get this done, get this application done. And sometimes, as I'm sure you know, so much of having a creative career is not creative, it's admin and writing applications and funding proposals they get and getting rejection after rejection after rejection and really feeling like you're getting kicked down. And sometimes you're just like, why am I doing this? And often I think a lot of people who do creative jobs, it's been their passion from when they were quite young and then sometimes it's hard to question of, am I doing this now because I still want to do it or because it's what I thought I always wanted to do? And I do have these great crises of confidence. And then every now and again, you'll get like the universe gives you a little win and you go, yes, like, this is why I'm doing it. And then you get like really passionate and really motivated, like you exactly like you were saying. And you sort of almost feel like, I always sort of uh, feel like, uh, you know, like Tarzan or like George of the Jungle where he's like swinging from like vine to vine and you just yeah. like, yes, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. It's like brilliant. And every now and again, you crash into a tree again and you have to pick up again. <laughs> that is, I've got, that's a brilliant vision. And a great, but a great analogy though, isn't it? Because momentum or motivation can build you up and you can gain so much momentum and then bang, one email or one, like you say, if you're doing um fun you know funding applications one rejection is oh, and then it just takes you down to the ground again doesn't it and then you have to pick yourself up and, and go again so yeah well that's good to know it's good to know i mean um in a selfish way it's good to know just because i'm not the only one <laughs> but no I, I think it's common i think it's very common because um you know if it's it's a choice um going into the the creative uh, you know being a creative entrepreneur creative business owner it's a choice so but um it it is tiring and it is um well sometimes it gets very hard in, in terms of motivating yourself doesn't it yeah um so you talked a bit about the business side um and um so the creative side and, and the, the business side this whole podcast explores marrying those two very different skill sets up is it something that you feel like you're getting better at or um, is it something that you're constantly working on? Um, definitely something I'm constantly working on, but I am. But through that constant work, I am getting better at it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily notice I've got better at it until sometimes I'll have friends who uh, have just started going freelance or something, and they'll ask me for advice and like giving them, uh, I'll perhaps help them how to structure an email or how to knowing how to ask for money for things and you know how to be like confident and not sell yourself short and it's sort of through teaching other people you go oh hang on a second and i used to like would have that would have caused me loads of anxiety and i would have spent like hours um trying to you know figure out how to do that and so sort of bit by bit you do sort of learn through every project and every sort of piece of art you work on you you learn a little bit of it and every interaction and 
I think having negative reactions with some people is really useful because for a long time I just got on really well with everyone I did projects with and then suddenly found myself on a project with working freelance for someone who we just did not click at all and it really caught me off guard and it taught my taught me a lot about myself and where I don't perhaps like uh perhaps where I'm not very good at speaking up for myself in certain situations and sort of the the trouble that came out of that where if I'd been more upfront from the beginning I probably could have saved months worth of anxiety and stuff especially when you take things quite like personally um because you know you're producing something that's very close to your heart um but yeah I'm getting better at it I've got spreadsheets now with my finances on which is brilliant it's not just like a carrier bag full of scraps of paper um I'm very unorganized um so it's taken me like a long time to learn to do simple things that most people would have just said yeah well of course why are you not doing that um but yeah I'm getting I'm getting um, to answer your question I'm getting better but slowly and always learning no that's that is interesting because I'm I'm quite a a recent convert to the old spreadsheet in terms of the figures of the business and I always and I always thought I had a good grasp on it until I had a a meeting with a business coach and essentially he asked the first five questions I just didn't have and they were really simple questions and yeah. I did and and I just did that I just didn't know the answers and I thought shit okay so this is what business is <laughs> yeah. this, this this really would make a difference if I knew um the percentage of leads that I get or when I send out a proposal or um, how many conversations I've, you know, one-to-ones I've had over the last few months that could lead to work and all these things. And it's, and you kind of think, oh, you know, I've left so much money on the table over the last few years. This is such simple stuff, but you still, it's still a process, isn't it? And if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so it's yeah. really interesting that f- the fact that you mentioned spreadsheets um, and, and that's, just sort that's of- That's a new thing. That's a new thing. For yeah, me. yeah. But it's but it's it's part of the process, isn't it? And it and it couldn't be if you put spreadsheets and poetry in the same sentence, they wouldn't go together. But it's something that we need to do as creative business owners. Yeah, and that's as yeah, like you using that term, you know, business owners is so much a part of it. It's funny as you were talking about the questions that business person asked you, I could just feel myself like tensing up and squirming and going, oh, I don't want to think about that. It's just this like automatics of natural, like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to think about those things. Data and numbers, which are all, of course, you know, other people are doing it and it's, you can't really escape it. But what I, what I did find is that after getting over that hurdle of actually sort of looking at the numbers, it does free you up to do the creative things. That's the sort of oxymoron or the um the, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm sort of going for here you're a poet you can probably help me out but the, the <laughs> huge the huge contrast between if you get your numbers right which is very uncreative weirdly that frees up your mind to do the creative work does that make any sense yes yeah absolutely it does mm. and yeah since i've started doing these things that the idea of opening up a spreadsheet in my head sort of filled me with anxiety because I just don't like to look at them. I sort of freeze up, I find it difficult to read. But then when I just started doing it, oh, I just felt such a relief. I was like, oh, wow, I can see everything in one place. I'm not scrolling through like endless email chains trying to find something someone said or like a bit of an invoice that went missing. And 
and you go, oh, it's all in one place. This is so like happy. And then I, then I said, then now I love him. I get enough of it. <laughs> Sticking everything in him. <laughs> Maybe that's the next poem. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned a lot from house plants, observing how they've come to terms with being stuck inside. See how calmly they remember to breathe. When I forget about them, they show me how to grow through neglect, how to lean into sunlight and stretch. When I water them, we gaze out the window together. I ask if they miss the passing traffic of wild soil, flirting with worms and introducing themselves to strange roots. Yeah, me neither. I lie in response to their silence. Then they ask if I've remembered to water myself too. So we will probably go back to the well. We'll go back to the the business uh, side of things shortly. But I'm what I'm fascinated with because this is a podcast about the art and the business. I'm quite fascinated into the art side of things. So um, my next question would be how how do you find your voice as a poet? How do you find your voice as a poet? Be terrible and then get better. Don't be afraid to be terrible. Okay. Okay. Write all the cliche, sad, stupid, not stupid is not a nice word, but like just just write all the like the the cringy teen like stereotypical teenage poem. Write it. It's brilliant. It's awful, but it's great. Just write it, and you kind of clear then then like clear all of that stuff out of your head because I find that's very like surface level like emotions, and then you can sort of tap into something a bit deeper and also just by copy copy everyone plagiarize the hell out of as many people as you can whereas um things like dali said like stealing from one person is imitation stealing from lots of people is creation um, yeah. and just by i've completely misquoted that but i've often when i'm still still to this point when i'm writing a poem if i'm struggling i'll just listen to or I'll listen to a poet online that I really like, or I'll read read a poet and then sort of get into their style and think, oh, okay, that's a really interesting way of um, approaching a topic. I want to try and write a piece, not like ripping off exactly what they do, but sort of seeing how they approach imagery or how they approach rhythm and style. Um, so yeah, just copy everyone. And then by amalgamating all these different people, because your sources will always be slightly different to everyone else's sources there'll be someone that you lean on a little bit more than others and by pulling all these people together you sort of start to slowly develop your own voice um and then just through and then just yeah as you know you, you learn what works and what doesn't for your style like some people got more like a hip-hop style some people are more like page orientated and every just slowly bit by bit you kind of piece together a, a sense of voice yeah it's very similar to um photography in some ways because if i'm doing a workshop with young people um a really common question is how do i develop my style as a photographer um and pretty much what you said there in terms of poetry i would just replace the word with photography you look at photos you like you take the parts that you like it may be their use of shadows or their use of contrast or their composition all these things and you just put it into a melting pot of your sort of creativity and then over the years um you sort of get to your own style 
Um, and then it changes anyway, because who wants to do the same thing for 20, 30 years? Yeah. I remember reading this. I think Hunter S. Thompson used to, great famous American writer, used to find, like, take, like, great masterpieces of literature and just write them out so he could get a feeling of what it was like to write a masterpiece. Even though he wasn't making it up, he would actually just sort of sit there and type it out word for word just to get a feeling of, oh, wow, this is how one thought can lead to another and just to get a sense of this is how it's possible. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just one of those things that are like, wow, what a, you know, it's pretty time-consuming and I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But it's just what is in what we were saying in terms of, you know, find someone else that you really like, do what they do, and then change it and make it yours. Yeah, you imitate and imitate until... Because... You could be, and I and I also say this on workshops as well, the, the incredible thing about, well, not just photography, but actually any creative pursuit is you could be put in exactly the same environment, exactly the same tools in front of you, but you would do something very different to the person next to you because you're bringing all your experience and your skills and your talent um, and creating something from that. It's as individual as a fingerprint, isn't it? yeah um so you've really again you've got to you've got to lean on that um and i think you hit the nail on the head you can't get caught up with copying because you're always going to make it your own yeah mm. staying with the, the sort of creative process when you're coming up with your poems now because you've been doing it for a long time is it do you find yourself getting into a bit of a is it quite structured, I suppose? Is that, that's, that's probably the question. Is it quite structured? Or do you start with a few lines and then go and then kind of riff off that? Um, can you talk us through your process? Do you know what? It, it sort of, there is a structure to it. There is a formula to it, but it changes for every piece. Wow. Or there might be, say, three or four structures. Like, because sometimes it will be... Um, you get your your flashes of inspiration you get your like your three in the morning thought just comes out of a overthinking brain and you think wow gotta write that down those but then you sort of i think you rely on those more when you start writing but then you can't rely on them to you know make a career out of it because you know it might be years in between when they happen and then other times it can it's i'll get like a rhyme or like a couple of words or like a nice saying stuck in my head, perhaps I've overheard of a conversation or something that pops in as I'm walking along and I'll just turn it around in my head for ages and ages and ages and then it will eventually make its way onto a page. And then sometimes there's just writing um, to deal with particular events, like any sort of major life event, then I'll tend to sit down and think, right, I want to write about this, but how do I do it? And it will just sort of tends to be like a stream of consciousness to begin with. And they go, okay, that's like got all the, the noise out of my head. And now I can sit and think how I can sit and think how to do it a bit more uh, calculated. And you learn sort of tips and tricks and things that work and things that don't work. And you want to experiment a little bit with each poem. But you sort of think, okay, I know I want to talk about this. But how can I talk about like the essence of it rather than just saying, this thing happened and it was really sad. Okay, like, why was it sad? And how can you communicate it to the audience without using the words, it was sad? But how can you use imagery and play with emotion and stuff like that? So the process is quite haphazard, I would say. I know some people can just sit down and you get this a lot of gigs. I've got a lot of 
friends on the poetry circuit who are like, oh yeah, I just uh, I just finished this five minutes ago, and they'll come up with something that would have taken me two weeks. But I sort of have to like chip away and chip away and chip away at like lines for ages and reorder them and structure them, and other people can just be like, yeah, I just did this while I was eating my dinner and before I came out to the gig, and I'm just wow. it's just different ways of working, I think. When you first started, then and you heard about other people's processes did you think i'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question but did you think oh well that's i'm obviously not very talented if i can't do it in five minutes um that's how that's how i've got to work because i think that i know when i first started like properly getting into mm. photography and and even filmmaking you you would put people on the on a pedestal yeah. And you and if they go about the creative process in a certain way, you take that as red. Well, I need to do that. Whereas, as I've gone on, I've realised actually, well, I do it my way, and it, and it works for me for the time being, and it and it and it may change. You do your thing, I'll do mine, um, and we'll all get along just fine. But is did you find yourself getting quite, um, I suppose, de demotivated, or did you find yourself? second guessing yourself i suppose yeah definitely um and still do occasionally although i've got better at blocking it out um you'd hear people who've just yeah they'll say yeah i just wrote this in one haven't edited it and i'm thinking wow what what i would do to be able to write a piece like that that is incredible and i think well if i can't do that maybe i'm just not as good maybe i'll never be as good perhaps i haven't got that innate creative fire within me to be able to put these thoughts together and to think in this uh in this way or process images in this way i think that's fantastic but again like you said you just sort of keep plugging away like i said earlier you, know, you just got keep keep going at it and eventually you just go well actually yeah this works for me and yeah this is this this is just what works for me and you produce pieces which are as good and you get more confidence in yourself and your own process and the other thing to think about this is just sort of sprung into my head. Just say a, a poet rocks up, does this poem, you know, five minutes before going on stage, absolutely nails it. Um, the audience will either like it or they won't. You go up, you've chipped away at these words. I love that saying, by the way, chipped away at those words. You've, you've, you know, you've been working on this poem for weeks and weeks and weeks. The audience will either like it or they won't they don't really care about the process. They're interested in, in the final result. So all this turmoil that we go through is completely, as long as it works for us, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, the audience doesn't really, really care. So that's yeah. um, a really nice way to... <laughs> next section, the audience doesn't really care. <laughs> the audience doesn't really care. But like, the, yeah, they don't care about, you know, they haven't been sitting there watching you sort of... Exactly like taking hours over whether to put the word that there or somewhere else. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, and because that's the thing, you know, you have this long build up and then you sort of, it's done in about three to five minutes and you go, and, either, and it either works or it doesn't. Um, perhaps there's a bit more emotional investment in the piece when you've spent a few weeks on it because you're like, when it occasionally, you know, when a piece doesn't work that you've just been working away at, you go, oh man, 
I was like, two weeks of my life. I've spent every day not getting paid, just working away at this piece of writing, and then you perform it to an audience, and it just falls completely flat. But then, you know, it's just the, the ups and downs of it, isn't it? So just before we go on to the final uh, three questions, um, what's the most difficult thing about being a freelance poet? Uh, the most difficult thing. Um, I mean, aside from the sort of living, I mean, I quite like living in voice to invoice. I prefer it than I, I find it quite fun. I'm happy having months where I'm not earning as much because it means I've got more free time and I you know, don't have to get out of bed on a Monday necessarily. Uh, but sometimes it can be difficult when you're like, oh, I really, I really hope like a paid project comes up soon because it's sort of getting quite close to the line now um so the uncertainty is something i love about it but it's also really difficult and then i think when you're having to when it becomes your career and not just something you're doing for passion and you do have to think about the business and the admin side that's tricky because you and you have to be strict with yourself and it's not just for fun anymore you know you've got a lot more riding on it and then it also means i'm sure you know about this you're just saying it's been wedding season recently and wedding photography might be what you're really into I, I don't know but you have to take jobs which put food on the table and so I spend a lot of time writing about stuff that I'm perhaps not as passionate about and I'm not writing about you know the real like oh this is what I've got an urge and this is what I'm passionate about and I need to get these words onto the stage and you sort of or words onto the page and you suddenly haven't got time to do that because you're writing like a commission for for another project but also that project's going to give you some money which is really nice <laughs> yeah absolutely think, yeah. yeah i think that's probably the most difficult part is spending time doing the thing that you love but it's not actually the thing that you love because you're having to spend your time on a different aspect of it mm, mm. yeah in a perfect world you would you would wake up you would do two or three hours on something that you were you absolutely loved um and then you'd have the rest of the day free but um and of course, there are some people that do that. However, I would have thought um, a lot of those people would have done the sort of 5, 10, 15 years of, of what you were talking about. <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's no such thing as an overnight success, really, is there? Um, well, Henry, we've come to um, the final three. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to chat to me today. I've, um, I don't know about anybody else, um, and I don't know about you, but I've had a great time. Um, so well, thank you. <laughs> So from a selfish point of view, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been really lovely. Um, I think a few things cropped up today that I didn't expect to talk about, but they've just sort of emerged. Good. So no, it's been nice. Excellent. Excellent. So how do you define success and what does it look like for you and your business? Um, success for me and the, the business and my business or the business of, of me, of Henry, the poet, workshop leader, actor, theatre maker, sometimes barman. Um, <laughs> um, success for me looks, I don't know what it looks like, but it feels like it's a, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's like, a, I was trying to think of this before this broadcast. Um, it's just a feeling that you're doing something right. And you're making an impact and also being able to live, being able to live off it when you sort of when you're doing a project you love and you're able to be like wow fantastic i can pay my rent with this what greater joy could there be than doing something that 
you're just excited to be able to get up and do it and then you're being able and then yeah and then you're being able to earn enough money to survive off it um so yeah having being able to pay rent without having to do supplementary jobs and then also a sense of that you're doing so a sense that you're doing something that's important and that has meaning sorry that's a bit of a roundabout way of trying to communicate what i was what i wanted to say no but that's what that's why um I, that's why i love the question because you can take it so many different ways and there's some people that i've spoken to has been very specific on what success looks like um, and then other people have been slightly more general about it about but what i do love is you said it's just that feeling of doing something you love and being paid for it that's an incredible achievement in itself isn't it yeah mm. so it's definitely like i'm sure you've had this like moments in your career which are like real like highlights where you go this is why i'm doing this and you just feel feel amazing and there's absolutely no sense of satisfaction like it okay so the second question is for your chosen profession poet what is a book or resource that has had the biggest impact on you so the book i want to talk about the book i mentioned it's not necessarily a poetry book um it's a, a it's an art related book but it's sort of because my practice is quite varied i just found it really useful in adjusting my mindset to creating stuff and it's um a book by alan capral who was sort of regarded as one of the godfathers of of the happenings movement in like in the 80s or before the 80s um like very uh, avant-garde art movement and he's got this book called Blur essays on the blurring of art and life and it's it's just incredible um and it really made me think about how i make things and he's just basically saying giving permission to be weird and be silly and just to experiment there's this great anecdote in it where he says he was teaching a, a class and he gave this group of young artists um uh a task where they first had to do the most stupid thing they could think of and then the smartest thing they could think of and this one person like hangs loads of pickles from the ceiling attached to copper wire and then turns on the electricity and the pickles glow and explode and then for the smartest thing he just does it again and i remember reading this anecdote and being like what you can do that and that can be art i then although i don't make art in that way it was just it really taught me about the importance of play within creation and being able to play and experiment and not worry about things being perfect but just try things out um, and that's been really really uh, influential throughout my entire career is just sort of having that uh, reassurance to just you know not be afraid to try things that sentence you just said that you you, you are the word you said play play and, yeah. and creativity and maybe i'm just thinking out aloud but maybe that's why there's there's a huge amount of reasons why the art and business are very difficult to marry up but maybe that is a key reason because creativity is all about play isn't it it's all about making mistakes yet yeah. you can't but yet business is is you don't see any business books that's that says i'll oh, just have just be a bit silly and have fun um and <laughs> And so they're, they are really polar opposite, aren't they? Um, and so, yeah, it's just something that came into my head that play and being completely silly is so, so different to, to building a, or sustaining a business. And spreadsheets. 
Playing with spreadsheets. Playing with spreadsheets. <laughs> Cracking game. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I will add that to the show notes. Um, uh, sounds really interesting. I might. I'm going to check that. I'm going to check that out myself. Right. Just before the last question, where can people find you on social media? Um, social media errors. Oh, a bit, bit rubbish on it, but please uh, do follow me at Henry Mad Poet um, on Instagram and on Facebook. I haven't got Twitter. It feels like it's too late to get Twitter now. I feel like if you started Twitter and didn't have any followers at this point, everyone would be like, what have you been doing for the past 10 years? You've got so to start just, somewhere. Yeah, but I've just I've just sort of resigned myself to the fact that that's not going to happen, even though lots of writers say that that's, if you want to, that's where writers hang out is on Twitter. But yeah, Instagram, Henry Mad Poet. That's Henry, M-A-D-D, Poet. Um, please do give me the sense of, give me a little dopamine ration. Give us a follow. <laughs> Love it. Okay, last question. And yeah, Henry, thank you. It's been a really, really great chat. We've massively overrun, but I make no apologies because we went down lots of rabbit holes. We explored stuff that actually I didn't even think about. So um, yeah, thank you. What one piece of advice would you give a person starting in your industry tomorrow? The piece of advice I would give that person is uh i've got i've got uh, right just, just pick one henry pick one um you know if there's if there's more um, um um if there's more go with more i won't i won't go on for ages but i would say it's okay, like you're gonna get lots of rejections and it's okay just keep if you're passionate about it just keep doing it because most of the time you get rejection it's because the thing wasn't right for you even if you've just put your heart and soul and spent three days writing the application if you didn't get it i Generally, there's obviously some projects which you think I was meant to get that and uh, will stick with you and are really horrible to not get. But uh, the majority of rejections I've had a couple of months after being like, oh, well, do you know, actually, I'm quite glad I didn't get that because I would have put me in a really difficult position that I wouldn't have felt comfortable or it wasn't right for me at the time or would have meant I've missed out on something else. Mm. And then finally, I'll just say be nice to everyone. <laughs> just could be every everywhere you go just be as nice as you can because you never know what a job's going to lead like where a job's going to come from or a couple of years later they go hey you were that really friendly person who worked on that um project let's have some more work um unless you're getting treated bad you know don't be afraid to get out of a project as well but try to be nice where possible <laughs> try to be nice where possible yeah because karma's a thing you're nice to people yeah. people are nice to you back um absolutely and, uh, yeah, so I, to- I totally agree with that. Thank you for spending so much time uh, chatting to me um, and we'll, uh, we'll call it a day there. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't give you a call to action. So it would be amazing if you could subscribe and also spread the word. All social media links and details of the podcast are in the show notes. Have a nice one and I'll see you next time for another episode of Squaring the Circle.